We are continuing the sermon series through the Ten Commandments. This morning, focusing on the Second Commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image that is found in Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. The scripture says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. For the New Testament reading this morning, we will turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 which is found on page 939 of your pew Bible. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the pew Bibles for the reading of God's holy word. Let us ask his blessing. Our gracious Lord, we give you thanks that you have not left us to ourselves to perish in our sins and to wither away in spiritual darkness, but you have come to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the very image of the invisible God. You have shone with your glory upon us in him. And so now in his name, we ask for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to come to enlighten the eyes of our hearts and to illumine our minds with spiritual understanding and to open our ears so that we might hear your word. And receive it in faith. That our lives might be more nearly conformed to the image of your Son. In whose name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 18. Let us hear the word of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I do not suspect that many of you or really and truly any of you, have recently carved for yourself an image of some creature 
and bowed down and worshipped it. I don't think you've done that lately. And so at first we might think to ourselves that, well, you know, really, the second commandment surely had relevance to ancient Israel. But it really doesn't have any direct relevance for our lives. We might think that. But we'd better think again. Idolatry is deeply, deeply rooted in our fallen, sin-corrupted human nature. The Scripture tells us that idolatry is the essence and the essential expression of the darkened, that is, sin-corrupted mind and the deceitful heart of fallen man. We just read about that from Romans chapter 1. It gives us the diagnosis, the divine diagnosis of the sinful human condition. The scripture says, for although they, that is fallen humanity, the human race and its rebellion against God, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Idolatry. Worshipping the creature, some created thing, rather than the creator, is the natural consequence of man's sinful rebellion against the true and living God. Idolatry is inevitable. It is inevitable for those who do not sincerely worship the true God. Why is that? Why is idolatry inevitable? Idolatry is inevitable because human beings are incurably religious. Human beings are incurably religious. If we do not worship the true and living God, we will worship some false God of our own making. An idol of our own making. Even an atheist worships. Even an atheist worships something. The atheist worships the idol of human reason, even though his own fallen human reason tells him that there is nothing to worship. Do you get that? The atheist worships his own mind, even though his mind tells him that there's nothing to worship. That is the futility of the darkened mind trapped in idolatry. John Calvin wrote that the fallen mind is a perpetual factory of idols. In other words, simply put, we like to make God in our own image. We liked, 
We like to conceive of, to concoct in our minds, to imagine a God who meets our standards, who is to be held accountable to us. In other words, we, tend, we have a tendency to make up a God who's going to do things our way, and when he doesn't, we're going to hold him to account for that. That's the kind of God we like to make up. Rather than submitting to, honoring, trusting, worshiping the God who made us in our own image. And therefore, idolatry can be found in many, many, many forms. Anytime we take something in this world, some creaturely thing, and elevate it to the highest place in our lives, the supreme source of our happiness, so that it really and truly takes the place of God in our lives, then we have carved an image and bowed down to it, if not literally, figuratively, but just as really and truly. Now, this applies to good things, such as a happy marriage, a good family, a rewarding occupation, a special place, a goal in life, these good things, if we are not careful. I mean, dare I even say it? maybe even a football team, can become an idol carved in our hearts. And here's the thing that we learn from Scripture. Here's your quote for the day. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. There it is. Idolatry is spiritual adultery. Think about it. True religion, true faith, is true love for God. Doesn't that make sense? True faith is true love for the true God. And the scripture tells us that the Lord Jesus Christ is the husband of his bride, the church, the body of believers. Through true faith, we are wedded to Christ, one with him, in union with him by the indwelling power of his Holy Spirit. We belong to him. He has bought us. As his own bride. Any love for anything that would supplant him, replace him, take his place in our lives would be idolatry. That is spiritual adultery. And that is exactly the reason that God himself in his own words of Holy Scripture condemns idolatry as, are you ready for this? Here we go. In God's own words, from Ezekiel chapter 6, God condemns idolatry as whoring after idols. Spiritual adultery. It is no wonder then that the warning attached to the second commandment says, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. 
the Lord's own description of himself as, in his own words, a jealous God, indicates how seriously passionate he is about his love relationship with us and our love relationship with him. His love for his people is so intense that he tolerates no rivals. And in order to protect us, and in order to preserve our relationship with him, he demands our complete and undivided devotion to him. Now, it may be true that we don't see a lot of primitive idolatry in our modern American society, a modern society which, historically at least, has been shaped by Christianity. That's the reason that we don't see a lot of primitive idolatry in the United States. You could, however, jump on a plane and fly to a foreign nation this afternoon one that has not been shaped by Christianity, and you could see idol worship in its most basic form. But you know, it's not only on the other side of the globe. Let us not be naive. Fact is, with the rise of New Age spirituality and the rise of popularity of Eastern religions in our own culture, we have seen the rise of primitive idolatry even in 21st century America. It is a little bit counterintuitive if you think about it, but you can go onto the Internet with your credit card and purchase a primitive Hindu idol or an amulet or a charm or a crystal or some other kind of spiritual trinket to connect you with the spiritual realm or the universal consciousness or whatever term you want to use in pagan religion today in so-called modern America. Modern contemporary Americans are turning to that kind of ancient pagan religion in hopes of finding some meaning, some hope, some happiness, some security in their lives. What does the word of God say? Psalm 115 says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. That is, those who trust in lifeless idols themselves become lifeless. Spiritually lifeless. Spiritually dead. We were created in the image of God to be like him. When we create dead idols for ourselves, we become like them. But it is not only this kind of primitive idolatry which concerns us today. There are modern, sophisticated forms of idolatry which threaten to undermine our true faith in the true God. 
There has been throughout history and there is still today the idolatry of the state. Statism. The worship. The bowing down to. The trust in. The absolute allegiance committed to a certain governmental or political ideology. If a people does not worship the true and living God revealed in Scripture, they will bow to a government which poses as God. When a totalitarian government asserts its absolute authority and control over people, it spreads its propaganda by creating an image which symbolizes its oppressive power and the authority of its regime. For example, a swastika or a giant image of Stalin or Lenin or some other symbolic image of the all-pervasive totalitarian rule of power which says, bow down and worship me or else. Now, other forms of this kind of political idolatry arise whenever an ideology tries to seize absolute dominance and control in a society. So today we have the idol of political correctness to which we all are commanded to bow down. And there is, on the other side, an idolatry of white supremacy, for example, or the idolatry of the welfare state as the God that will provide for us from the cradle to the grave. And then there is the the idolatry of a radical individualism which says that each individual is accountable only to himself or herself. Each individual has the right to divine truth and morals according to his or her own personal preferences. And to that ideology, we are to bow down. No one can say to another what a standard of truth and morality ought to be. That is the idolatry. And all of these ideologies and others like them are in fact idols to which people bow down and worship. That is, they serve them. They serve these idols by living their lives to promote the glory of their cause. Now, there's also for some the idol of science and technology. Those who would believe that science and technology are the answer to all the world's problems. That's not to say that science and technology are are bad things. Of course not. Science and technology have brought many good things into the world, but in the wrong hands and for the wrong causes, great evils have been unleashed in the name of science and technology. For example, when the project of human cloning is pursued, when it when it ought to be legalized just because it can be done in the name of science and technology, then we have bowed down and worshipped the idol. It no longer serves us. We serve it and have become its slaves. That's idolatry. What about the images of youth, physical beauty? How many people bow down to worship these idols? You see these idols graphically portrayed in the grocery store 
checkout stands every time you go through the line. Don't you? Woo! Wish I looked like he did. Wish I looked like she does. Oh, really? Isn't that idolatry? Physical health, youthfulness, beauty, these are good things. Taken to the extreme of being the most important things in life, they become idols. Our culture worships physical beauty, youthful vitality, but cares hardly anything for the fitness of soul and the worship of God in the beauty of His holiness. Our culture continues to search desperately for the fountain of youth, but seems to care little for the wisdom of age and the rich ripeness of soul that come from walking humbly with God. Would we really rather, think about this, would would we really rather live forever young in this world than live eternally in the glorious presence of the eternal God? Would we? That is idolatry. What about the works of our hands that give us our identity and our security, those idols of status and style? Is it really true that the cars we drive are extensions of ourselves, expressions of our souls? Do we find our self-worth in the houses we live in and the clothes we wear? Again, it's not any of these things. It's not that these things are bad in and of themselves. Of course not. But when we attach ourselves to these things, when we begin to believe that our lives have value because we have these things, when we believe that we would be nothing without these things, then they've become idols to us. You see, the question is not what do we own. The question is what owns us. It's not a question of our belongings. It's a question of to whom do we belong. And when anything in this world owns us so that we must sell our souls, slave our lives away in order to secure our identity, our happiness, our security, our self-esteem in these things, then we can be sure that we are, in fact, bowing down and serving these idols that we have carved for ourselves. You might ask, well now look, are these things really idols? They're not carved images. We don't really bow down and serve them. No. But again, the basic definition of idolatry is to put our our trust, our hope, our security, try to find our happiness in anything other than the true and living God. The basic thrust, you see, of the fallen, idolatrous human heart is to try to find our salvation in our own works, in something that we've done, in something that we've accomplished for ourselves to justify our existence in the universe. Whether in the primitive sense or the very sophisticated modern sense, idolatry is man's attempt to secure his meaning in life by the works of his own hands. There it is. And that's the true worshiping the creature instead of the creator. You see, the true and living God is is simply not that small. He is infinite. He is eternal. Nothing in this world can be compared to him. 
nothing that we could make with our own hands, nothing that we could ever make out of our own lives by our own power could ever come close or ever compare with his infinite glory and majesty and his holiness. We cannot connect with God by the work of our own hands or the efforts of our lives. But here is the gospel. The infinite and eternal God who dwells above us and beyond us in the high and holy place, whom no one can see, who made the world and everything in it, who cannot be contained in a building, the true and living God has made himself known. He has made himself visible. He has come into the world in his son, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The scripture, Colossians 1.15, says that he, Jesus Christ, is the visible image of the invisible God. He is not an image made of wood, silver, or gold. He is the image of God in human flesh and blood. The scripture, Hebrews 1.3, says that he, Jesus Christ, is the radiance and glory of God and the exact imprint, the exact image of his nature. Now, the point of these verses, you see, is that the true image, the true image before whom we are to bow down and serve, the true image to whom we are to look for blessing, favor, security, and eternal happiness, the true image who gives meaning and purpose and value to our lives is not a dead idol, not a lifeless image, but the living image of the true and living God, the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not worship an unknown God. We worship a God who has made himself known in the man, his son, the divine person, Jesus Christ. Now remember, remember the divine diagnosis of the fallen human condition, which we read from Romans 1. The scripture says that humanity in its fallen condition did not honor God as God or give thanks to him, but exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things and worshiped and served the, cre the creature rather than the creator. You see, there it is. There's that basic Diagnosis of the fallen human condition. The basic diagnosis of idolatry from Romans 1. And that is our diagnosis as members of the fallen human race. That is who we are in and of ourselves. Romans 1 is talking about us, you and me. Apart from Jesus Christ, idol worshipers, helpless, hopeless, futile in our minds, Darkened hearts without excuse. Do you see that Jesus Christ came into the world to set us free from the oppressive tyranny and the hopelessness of serving dead idols? He came into the world to shine the light of the glory of God into our darkness so that we might come to know and to love the true God who made us and who loves us. 
Jesus Christ is the true image of God who came into the world to be the atoning sacrifice, the guilt-cleansing sacrifice, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for idolaters such as you and I. Jesus Christ is the true image of God who came into this world to restore us into an eternal relationship of love with the true and living God. He died the death we deserved under God's wrath and he rose from the dead to give us the life we do not deserve. Eternal life. In the righteousness, peace, and joy of God's everlasting kingdom. Eternal life as the children of the living God. As the Apostle John wrote in one of his letters, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let us turn away from every dead idol we would make for ourselves. Let us turn to worship the true and living God who made us in his own image and redeemed us by the blood of his son. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of life, the word of truth, the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray by the grace of your Holy Spirit, you will plant your word deep in our hearts, water it with your spirit so that it might spring forth and bear much fruit to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.